Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Destiny. He's a streamer and a YouTuber. The clash between left and right has reached unprecedented levels and the divide continues to widen with increasing confusion and despair amongst young people, blurred identity lines and individuals grappling to find their place. Mental health is in tatters, but for some reason it's much worse for liberals than conservatives. Expect to learn Destiny's thoughts on his debate with Milo Yiannopoulos, his best tips to beat someone in a debate, why the landscape of political backbiting has changed, why liberals are so much more unhappy than conservatives, the societal implications of women out-earning men, what mistakes young people make when judging what will make them happy, whether AI will take my job, and much more. I really enjoyed my weekend with Destiny. Some of you caught a live debate slash panel thing that we did at the Vulcan Gas Company Comedy Club. Uh, <laughs> Alex Jones booled in, very drunk, and started shouting at Destiny. That was quite funny. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good weekend, and I, I really appreciate Destiny's work. I think that he is a very uh, well-meaning and well-balanced debater. And uh, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy this one. Also, don't forget that I'm going on tour later this year. And if you want me to come to a city near you, all that you need to do is sign up and tell me where you live. We are going to be routing the tour based on the cities that we get that sign up. And that means that you can influence literally where I go. So head to chriswilliamson.live, enter there, and it means that you'll find out first when tickets and show dates are announced. I thank you. That's chriswilliamson.live. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, and gymproof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cd wisdom and using the code mw15 at checkout that's bit.ly slash letter c letter d wisdom and mw15 at checkout Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com modern. That's netsuite.com modern to get your own KPI checklist today. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. 
I've worn Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous. You do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate. It tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Destiny. Here's the first thing we're getting into, okay? Yep. All right, so I've started taking a little bit more um, interest in my parents, okay? Okay. Um, why do you get... Okay, so I noticed that I feel like men look really good when you're kind of like sitting in a chair, sports your back, you're, you know, you're up like this, right? Mm-hmm. Real proper posture. Why do you guys have these like deep-seated fucking chairs where you like, especially for shorter guys like me, look at me, look at me in this. This is me sitting in the back. This is intentional, okay? <laughs> what are you, like 6'2"? I'm 5'8". It makes me look like a fucking... Like the stay puffed marshmallow guy from fucking Ghostbusters. I think you do this shit intentionally just to get one over on your guests. Like you've already got me mentally fucked. No, before not you at start all. The podcast. Not okay? at all. I'm not trying to do that. Uh-huh. At all. This is not. It's not discriminating against anybody below five eight. <laughs> okay. All right. Did you see the uh, Elon BBC interview thing where they did the usual put him on a stool, make him feel as uncomfortable as possible? The stool still had the price tag on it. Nice. I did not see that. I didn't know. Is that like part of their? Just presumably BBC's taxpayer funded. So they're like, we're not going to allow any money to be wasted. We'll take this stool back once the richest man in the world's sat in it. Damn. Not good. I How did d- see, uh, I saw like a two or three minute clip of that. And he wrecked him? <laughs> who wrecked who? Elon wrecked that BBC guy. Oh, yeah. I don't like Elon very much, so we might. But he- He's got to concede every so often that he does win. Um, yeah, no, he definitely has a lot of wins. I'm very big on like, when you confront people with things, I say this all the time, bring examples. It's something I talk about a lot. When I, whenever I'm talking about a, an idea or an ideology or a theory or an ex- or whatever, I'm always like, such as, and then I'll give like one or two or three examples. Cause it's really important to ground out what you say. Otherwise you can just, people give like the most superfluous advice that sometimes is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. And, and it's like, give like an example or two so you can understand. And when the guy did it to Elon, he was like, oh yeah, like racism has increased all over the platform. And I was like, well, how? And it's like, at the very least, I think there was a, one organization that did like a study saying they measured like, so he could have at least brought that up, but he's like, well, in my feed. And he's like, really where? And he's like, well, I haven't used my feed in six weeks. And he's like, well, how did you know? And he's like, well, uh, I, I, uh, it's like, you don't even have one example. What are you doing, dude? Yeah. Game over. Well, I've noticed that you ask people for definitions a lot. So yeah. say, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah. What do you mean when you say that term? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the same. Like, yeah. So we're like on the same page. Cause I want to have like a real conversation. I'm not here to just fucking preach at the fucking camera. I'm in front of my stream for eight hours a day. I could do that. Like if I'm talking to somebody, let's have like an actual conversation. So it drives me crazy. Yeah. How did it feel to have Milo Yiannopoulos make Richard Spencer seem reasonable? Um, you know, props to Richard Spencer for either 
hiding his horrible ideology or doing genuine reformation. I'm not sure what she's doing. You know, I take people, I meet people where they're at. Um, Milo is, I, I feel like I understand Milo pretty well, maybe. What is he? Who is he? No. Um, man, my chat made fun of me when I said this, but I feel like Milo, I want to say Milo for a brief moment in time was like one of the top three to five most popular political pundit people in the world. In like 2016, right? In that era. He was going to colleges. He had books out. He was, everybody knew him all over the world. He was making everybody mad. He was on this like alt-right slash Trump binge. And then, man, that pedo convo really just did a number on him. (laughs) He just, yeah. The beginning of the spiral down. Did you see the vlog where he flew to Hawaii to try and throw his engagement ring into an active volcano? And then the Hawaii local environmental organization said, we don't let people go and throw personal possessions into active volcanoes. So he got a bottle of vodka, got on a, rented a boat, and then was drinking the bottle of vodka, showing how expensive the ring was on his phone before he, blink, just threw it into the Pacific. I did not see that. That was a sad, <laughs> sad vlog yeah. to watch. Jeez. So where is he now? Who is he now? Um, I think he's just desperately trying to carve out some political niche. Um and and right now it seems like that's like this Christian nationalist thing, but he like exists solely in these strange spaces on Telegram. Um, he has no like social media anywhere because he's banned from everything, and he doesn't really have like a coherent political ideology or lifestyle or platform or anything. So he's just like yeah, he's like grifted into this very very niche weird world where he's trying to like make some kind of name for himself, but it doesn't seem like it's going too well. It seems to me watching him against you and then also i've seen him do a couple of other little interviews over the last couple of years it's kind of like watching a punch drunk boxer trying to get back into the ring one last time all of the he did have kind of charm it was a real trolley charm Mm -hmm. but there was something like whimsical and and kind of funny and sort of subversive about what he used to do and then it was so just like icky and gloves off but not in a ruthless way kind of in a like a scrappy scrabbling bottom of the barrel way with that debate with you and then you bring up like one point there's one bit of pushback that you get like one legitimate piece of pushback which was still couched quite a lot for the people that haven't seen it you brought up the thing that he was cancelled for as he started accusing you of like having kids that were going to be future pedophiles or something (laughs) something, and you're like this is not the stance for you of all people to take And then that immediately just broke his brain. And I thought, dude, like, if you're going to fucking dish it out for 50 minutes, at least be able to take it on the other side. And he couldn't. So it it really just, I don't know. It's like the the death throes of some fucking, like, old singer who's touring again and and doesn't, can't hit the high notes. Yeah, that's basically how I view it, yeah. What has changed then with the landscape that means that Milo is no longer, like, is it just that that kind of trolley alt-right stuff is not cool anymore? (laughs) Yeah, so something um, I give myself a lot of credit for is I've been doing online content now in a, in a fairly relevant way for about 13 years. And in order to maintain at a level to where you're still accruing new followers, where people still want to look at you for what's going on in the modern day, you kind of have to adapt to the changing kind of like political landscapes. Um, I'm sure stuff changed fast in the past too, but man, today on the internet, political movements will come and go in like one to four years. 
depending on the movement. Uh, Milo definitely thrived in this kind of like alt-right explosive era where trolling and attacking college kids and being as provocative as possible and pushing back against the SJWs, you know, that's what we used to call woke people back in the 2016 days. That was like the, <laughs> the height of what he did. But I feel like he never really adapted past that and he's still kind of like looking back towards that. You know, like you said, like he's got like his provocative attitude and all of that and he's got his, you know, I think Manner speaking he copied from like Hitchens uh, where he's like you know this trying this oration style but he doesn't really have any substance anymore like no offense but like are we really looking to like milo yiannopoulos for the ideal christian type of lifestyle and now he's like super pro censorship and it's like yeah i don't know it's just very strange you know? i did a debate in qatar about masculinity about six weeks ago mm-hmm. and they put up a montage of a bunch of different people commenting on how feminism had gone too far the fucking first person was milo yiannopoulos and i had to <laughs> kind of couch it and i was like look I do it. And then after that was Rogan and then there was Peterson and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Guys, if, if you have brought me here to try and defend Milo Yiannopoulos, I'm like, that's not the job that I was sent here to do. Like mm-hmm. there's criticisms that we can have about all sorts of stuff. Like don't, I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. Uh, another thing that's interesting is how are you talking about how quick political movements come and go? Mm-hmm. Like Milo and Nick Fuentes, I mean, that was the shortest relationship in history. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I called all of that. I told these motherfuckers that when the yay stuff popped up, that this is going to be like a two to three month thing. And it felt like Fuentes banked a lot on yay being like his new explosive reach to the public. And I think Milo also was like looking at like his way back into fame. But yeah, he's done this before. Right. Where he wanted to run for president, I think in 2016, and he came and went in like two weeks. <laughs> and then he repeated like the same thing again. I was like, how are you taking this guy seriously? The I love Hitler guy who has no foundation for any political belief whatsoever. Um, yeah, that it, it was a short relationship. It was dumb. I don't know how much you follow on Telegram. Do no, you, not much. These guys are fighting like crazy. Like, I think Fuentes just dropped yesterday that this guy called Ali Alexander, who was the leader of the Stop the Steal movement is like a pedophile or something and that milo yiannopoulos was defending him and i think milo yiannopoulos a few days ago is trying to drop things proving that people are pet- like they're all it's so much crazy it's everyone a pedophile yeah but that's always like the go-to i think with everybody yeah do you do you know the word nonce do you know what that is doesn't it mean like stupid in british or something nonce is pedo oh i didn't know that okay in british <laughs> yeah so you'll see if it's ever anybody in, in england that's accusing someone else of being a pedo it would be that wasn't there something didn't nick fuentes say that milo is taking percocet to stop himself from being gay. Isn't he medicating himself out of his homosexuality? That's what he says. So my when I'm writing stuff on this with people, I like sources. I need screenshots. I need videos. Yep. These guys are making a lot of claims each other. I haven't seen any proof of anything. So it's really funny. Like, I'll probably repeat some of it if I'm trying to, like, trigger some of them. But is it actually true? I, I have no idea. I mean, Fuentes... I watched Fuentes, two, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, and he's like, I heard from people who were working with Milo, and they have no reason to lie. Tell me about this and that and that. And it's like... Couldn't be more... <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, come on, dude. Source. Yeah, give me at least like a screenshot or something. Yeah. Talk to me about um, being on stage when someone like Milo really tries to sort of take the gloves off. It seems like you can keep your cool, which I think is a pretty impressive thing to be able to do. Is that innate is that something that you've developed do you ever get asked for tips on debating and what would you tell people um i've i've always been like a really cool person i don't know why um the the my transition i worked a job when i was uh 17 18 i worked at mcdonald's okay lovely fast food restaurant and i was so good at handling irate customers that somebody in line there noticed and then recommended me for another job at a casino that i worked at where i also worked at graveyard shift because i could handle a lot of irate customers so i've always been good at just like dealing with people that are just like this is dumb like whatever um 
So I, I don't know why I've had that skill baked into me for a long time. Uh, now when I run into people like that, I have to be very strategic. I, like I have to think a lot about how I'm supposed to deal with it because my background in internet shit talking is huge. And that's very, very fun for me. Like if somebody wants to roll around in the dirt, I will gladly like, let's have like a two hour screaming match. I would love nothing more, but it doesn't really look good on me. So I have to be like very measured. There are a lot of things I wanted to say to Milo and I have to like pick my spots very carefully. Um, why didn't you do that? Uh, two reasons. So one, in the 2016 era of politics, the way that you communicated strength to people was through like destroying people, like screaming at them, you know, going hard, like, oh, you're so fucking stupid, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's how we did it. And that's whatever, you know, that's why that was where my comeuppance was, was like being that really like loud, unruly, angry, kind of left-leaning person that would destroy people. Um, but then 2020 onwards, now the way you communicate strength is this like quiet, stoic type of like manly, like nothing affects me. So now when I'm like dealing with people, the way that you deliver the insult has to be like, it's got to be like a bit more cool, a bit more collected a bit less emotionally impacted so i kind of have to think when i'm navigating conversations like i i have to attack him because he's obviously saying some wild shit and it would be really funny and i have good attacks but i can't attack him in a way that makes it seem like i'm upset so there's like a whole like strategy to like dealing with people that are like really trying to needle you you know why do you think the uh landscape of what is being cool or being assertive or being powerful has changed. Is this just a trend that for a while it was cool to be the outgoing gregarious one and therefore there's like a flip-flop which is the opposite of that? Or is there something else going on? Because I know exactly the thing that you mean. It's almost this kind of like sardonic, aloof, standoffish kind of like Mm -hmm. cynical kind of thing that's going on. What's happening there? Um, Man, I don't know. I just, I follow the internet trends. I don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they come from. Um, It's pretty pervasive though. You know, you look at Twitter, no one's ever like calling somebody out directly. It's always subtweeting little snipes and jibes and mm-hmm. like sarcastic comments. Yeah. I, tr- I truly have no idea. I'm not sure. I don't even know if it's real sometimes. It's very strange. Like um, you exist in kind of these manosphere spaces. Like something I hear a lot of people say things is like, Oh, like to be really emotional is feminine and to be a man is to be stoic. And the only way that statement works is if anger isn't included as an emotion because men get very angry sometimes. So I'll see some people talk about the importance of stoicism and stuff, but man, when they're going off on women, they're very emotional, but they're angry emotional. So, but that, that doesn't count. So yeah. um, I don't know. The whole world is kind of silly, but I try to, I have to keep in mind, like, how do people view me? How do I represent myself? So it's something I just have to try, try to keep in mind. But, you know, I don't know where exactly it comes from or why people are where they're at in, you know, like current media trends online. Yeah. Speaking about the Milo and Nick explosion or mm-hmm. implosion, it seems like pretty much every other political organization, like the Young Turks versus the entire left, uh, Crowder versus Shapiro, DeSantis yeah. versus Trump, like everything just seems to be kind of falling in on itself. The trans movement versus other parts of the trans movement as well. Mm-hmm. What's that? In, have you got any idea about what's indicative of that or why it's happening? Um. There's two thoughts I have. One is a thought that Spencer brought up in my conversation that people need like an enemy. I kind of wonder if without a strong rallying figure, everybody just kind of like turns on themselves. So personally, I think Biden is doing a really good job as president uh, for a variety of reasons. But Biden is not like a character that most people want to like either die attacking or die defending. He just doesn't inspire like that kind of like, yeah, Biden, you know. Um, So people on the right you can't really hate him as much as like you could like Hillary Clinton and people on the left don't really want to defend him as much as they would like Obama or Bernie Sanders. Right. So maybe without like that strong center 
like lightning rod um, that inspires like defense and aggression. Now people are kind of like looking at everybody else for who they want to fight with. Like everybody on the right, everybody on the right is fighting amongst themselves. Oh my God. The Shapiro Crowder thing was insane when that blew up. The, um, the Trump DeSantis stuff is like brewing on the horizon with occasional spillovers. Uh, that whole Christian nationalist stuff with Fuentes, Alex, Alley, yeah, it's all crazy. And then on the left, thankfully they're a smaller faction of our party, but the the progressives and like fighting with everybody is like a huge thing. It's blowing up online too. So, um, yeah, the I, first I think, part. What's the second one? Um, the second one is uh, this is something I've been talking about a lot more. Um, I think our identity is getting more fractured in really negative ways. It's hard to, I try to keep in mind, like, I don't know what's unique now versus this has always existed, but I'm like a 34 year old guy and this is my whole life. So maybe, you know, so maybe I just, maybe I over-exaggerate the present recentism or whatever, but it really feels like we we can't be proud of any part of our identity right now um, for a variety of reasons, two big, two big reasons. So on the left, it feels like we're, we identify ourselves by like how much we're supposed to hate ourselves, you know, like, okay, I'm white and that's horrible because my ancestors had slaves and I'm part of a white supremacist system and colonialism means I'm exploiting the world and capitalism means about like, it's like all of it is such a fucking drag. And then for people on the right, um, especially as they've taken this more populist bend, people on the right can't even be proud of America anymore because now they all hate fucking corporations and they hate like everything related to like, um, like everything that America does now. So like, here, here's like two examples that I'll give. I don't know how controversial it'll be with you or your audience, but like, in my opinion, okay, I think that the vaccine is like, I think that that was the perfect shining example of like American capitalism. You had the government under Trump do warp speed, trying to incentivize private industry that is like globalized. It's working with different companies all over the world, Pfizer and Biotech, to use publicly funded research in the United States to create a vaccine for a novel virus in less than 12 months. That's like, that is like a shining example of like only the United States of America could have done that. But it's such a politically captive topic that nobody can feel good about it. People on the left are like, ah, yeah, I guess, you know, and people on the right are like, no, fuck that, even though Trump is like, please like the vaccine. So like we can't feel good about that. I think that Ukraine, regardless if you feel pro or, or negative Ukraine, the support that we gave them, the way that we outed the intel, the way that we led, led NATO and Europe or whatever through that, I think has also been an exemplary um, attitude, a stark contrast to the horrible shit we've done in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's like, this is good American leadership on a country that deserves to be defended. We did in a really good way. But it's such a politically captive idea that nobody can feel good about it. So we have this identity in the United States where we all hate each other. Nobody can feel good about anything the United States does. The right hates every... We don't even have like neocons anymore who are at the very least like, oh, well, hey, we love our big businesses because everyone on the right hates big business now everyone on the left hates everything about themselves and it's like fuck like where's your identity at so everyone just like fights with each other hates each other and it's like well fuck you know people coming together and rallying together over shared hatreds is always going to be stronger than people coming together over shared loves like almost there was a, a study that i saw in and it starts in 2012 if you ask democrats whether they love Democrats or they like their own party more than they hate the other. Mm-hmm. In 2012, it flips mm-hmm. and people are basically protest voting everything. It's I'm voting for not the thing that I don't like as opposed to voting for the thing that I do like. Sure. And this with purity spirals, which is what you said at the beginning, which is if you are bound together over the mutual hatred of an outgroup, you have to continually shave off members on the outside of your own inner group to continue to be more and more pure mm-hmm. and keep on pointing them out as pariahs and scapegoats and say, that's the person that we're not. I'm not that, and I'm not this, and I'm not the other. Like, um, white gay privilege. It's like, if you're gay, but you're also white, kind of not that gay anymore. 
<laughs> bro, gay people are like the straight people of like the LGBT shit. Like I'll see people like white gay people. You mean the guys that have all appropriated black female language? And I'm like, holy shit, dude, white gay guys are gonna be feeling really weird. What was it like? Was it like what thirty or forty years ago they were all dying of AIDS and now they're like next on the chopping block? <laughs> like holy shit, you know? Yep. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. If you're white and you're gay, you're just not that gay anymore. Yeah. Like you're an honorary straight mm-hmm. essentially, and especially if you're conservative. If you're conservative, white, and gay, Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray is like one of the straightest men in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, for that precise reason. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting point to say that Biden is so milquetoast to most people that he hasn't been able to inspire either support or hatred, mm-hmm. which has caused both of those things to just get turned inward. I think mm-hmm. that's a, I think that's an interesting... Which is kind of it. sad because Biden's goal coming into office was to be like a great unifier, which I think to some extent he has accomplished and that he's not like relentlessly shitting on the right. As much as people say he is, like he tries to be pretty careful. He's just like, oh, I don't like the MAGA people that are trying to protest the election. But for the most part, Biden is not like relentlessly attacking conservatives and Republicans, not anywhere as much as he could be. But I think as a result of that, like Republicans don't really... Care much about him i don't, I don't think that they like yeah. obsess over by so being like, unobjectionable and uh, like uniting in mm-hmm. that regard has actually ended up turning everybody in on themselves which has fractured everything even more a l- yeah in a, in a way kind of yeah because like how many conservative it feels like now i feel like if you were to pull an average conservative now it feels like their most hated figure would be like either like trump or DeSantis as they're like fighting against each other that you have like these conservative movements and then like all the other conservative people the laura loomers the marjorie taylor greens that are like this huge like faction forming fighting in the conservative party right now like they're, they're just like biden's you know whatever democrat socialist who cares and then it's like all like the conservative stuff you know Did and you trans s- people <laughs> and and then <laughs> they really want to talk about you oh my god uh, did you see the article saying that liberals are more unhappy than conservatives? It was a bunch of different studies that came out. Um, it was in Atlantic article. I read the whole thing on stream two or three days ago. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts off the back of that? Well, the part of what I just told you, I ripped straight from that article. The idea that liberals define themselves by like um, – like all the things that they hate. <laughs> so like if I'm like a white person, I kind of feel, have to feel bad about it because like any wealth I have is like a privilege that came from the exploitation of people from colonialist mindsets and whites, blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, that's that type of mindset is probably really, really, really negative. Um, and I think that I think that the left, it's, I have this thing on stream that I say where if I'm talking to an audience, I'm always going to talk from a pretty far left perspective. We're going to talk about systems. We're going to talk about class. We're going to talk about like, what are the things that the government can do to create like a good environment for you, right? Because that's what I'm concerned about, like on a broad level. But if I'm giving advice to like an individual, I'm going to be the most hyper like anarcho libertarian ever. Like if I'm talking to somebody like, oh, can I get some advice? Like, yeah, here's some advice. You care more about you than anybody else ever will. You're the only one that can improve your situation. Nobody's going to give you a handout. Nobody gives a fuck about you. You're going to do whatever you can, like, on your own to get ahead in life. And that's it, right? And I I, I talk about this sometimes, and people... People sometimes try to call me like hypocritical or like when I give advice to an individual, like, well, what do you mean? What aren't you going to recognize that it's not fair for this guy? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, sure. But to an individual, who the fuck cares? Right. Like you can sit there and blame systems all you want and be a loser or you can do your best to overcome it. Like that's all you could do. You know, how do you marry those two worldviews then? How do you blend those two? Um, it's, it's like it's very it's very difficult. But like on a on a personal level, I understand that I exist as part of a system and there are some things that are unfair but like all you can do is try your best right but it's very 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 difficult as a left-leaning person um if you play video games yeah if you ever played league of legends no okay this must be true of like sports i I would imagine i never played like football or basketball but i I imagine that in sports there's probably a, a, a difficulty sometimes where it's easy to blame teammates for your losses right 
Um, I played a single player game called StarCraft growing up, and I loved that game. It was one-on-one. If you lost, it was your fucking fault, full stop. When you play team games, it's very difficult to figure out what's what's your fault or why did you lose? Was it my teammates? Did they fuck up? And you can get into a mindset where you start blaming everybody else, and what happens is you take no personal accountability. And the real mindset for improving in those games, and everybody knows this, even if they're upset at the time, even if I get upset, they'll tell you, the real mindset for improving is all you can do is take the most responsibility for your own actions as much as you can and try to improve on that. Sometimes you might be in unwinnable games where your teammates are causing you to lose, but who cares? Find out what you can improve on and go forward. And we know that's true for games. We probably know it's true for sports. But then as soon as we come into the real world, it's like, oh, you're black. You didn't get a job. They were probably racist. Oh, you're a woman. Uh, you know, your application got turned over. They were probably sexist. How can you expect that that mindset doesn't fucking destroy a person's ability to navigate the world when they've constantly been told that classes around them are what are keeping them down and the amount of yeah i just i feel like the amount of personal agency you have goes it rips rips the agentic person Mm -hmm. out out of it there was a a really interesting part where it said that um one of the reasons or one of the potential justifications for why it would be the case that liberals are uh, more depressed is because they correctly perceive injustices in the world that was matthew iglesias's like take on it or that was it could be potentially yeah that basically they're more in tune with what's going on that's bad but i i don't know that that liberal boys are experiencing more depression than conservative girls because of that like because the the liberal boys are more in tune than a female who's got all manner of hormones going on and her body image is up in the air and she's 14 years old and she's now a sexual object and god knows what i'm supposed to do with myself and everyone's treating me in a different way and i'm becoming a woman and i'm having periods and all this stuff and being tapped into injustices is more than that. I mean, it, 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 I, I could see it being the case. Um, for me, a lot of stuff related to women has, when, when you get turned on to a lot of the really weird shit that goes al- along with being a woman, especially in like this world, as soon as I notice that, that's a really sad and depressing thing to, to take sucks. into account. It and, does, and this is fucking... Yeah. And as a guy, like I like overlook all of that. And there's so many, I have to be careful now even, like there'll be people that, a, a woman will ask me like, oh, like I'm doing a show with this guy, like do you think he's cool? And I, and I used to be like, yeah, this guy's like super cool, it's whatever. And now I know I can never say that about a guy unless I've seen him interact with a woman. Because how he interacts with me doesn't fucking matter. Because there are guys I've interacted with who's super cool, very polite, like just like this an exemplary dude he's a really awesome guy and then like i'll see him in another and in, in, in at least one circumstance he tries to rape a woman that i was like friends with I'm like what the fuck is wrong with you dude um and it's like an insane fucking world where it's like yeah when i get tuned on to some of that stuff i could definitely see it being more like fuck um when i was a carpet cleaner that was the point in my life where i was the most libertarian where I was like, I need to do what I can. I got to work hard. I got to figure this out, mm. blah, 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 blah. And holy fuck, it wasn't until I got rich that I realized, wow, there is so much of life that is fucking bullshit. Um, well, like, in terms of like how much easier life is in, in every single regard when you become wealthy. Um, I don't know if it's because I was a commuter a lot, but a lot of the misery in my life uh, surrounded usually was around my fucking car, okay? I drove a piece of shit car. Um, things like flat tires or speeding tickets, that's like a kick in the ass for like three to six months, depending on how fucked you get, right? If you crack a wheel, anybody from Nebraska that drives on I-80 going back and forth from Omaha to um, Council Bluffs knows that when it snows, those potholes are fucking insane. That shit will fuck you over. And then like 
every single bad thing gets worse because of every other thing around it. So like, let's say that I crack a wheel. Okay, well, now I got to call a friend to get the fuck out of here. I have to leave my car somewhere on the side of the road. I've got to write a big sign that says, please don't fucking tow me. They're going to tow you anyway. Now that it gets towed, I got a $75 fee at least from the state. And now every single day it sits in this tow yard. It's like an extra $100. And it's just like so much fucking stress. And then as a rich person, I was like, I get pulled over for whatever the fuck. I hire a traffic lawyer, make it go away. I don't give a fuck about anything, right? I could go total my car and Uber somewhere else. I go to a dealership and buy I don't like it. The life is so much different for like a wealthy person in so many ways or for like my kid, for example. Um, I'm trying to think of like, well, where do I want him to go to school? It's like, I wanted to go to a good, I wanted to be in the best school district. So I just buy a house in the best school district and then we move there. Right. And then over the pandemic, when people have to stay home, right. Or even before the pandemic, fuck it. My kid is in like first grade and these motherfuckers are getting assigned laptops and they get like take home. I'm like, holy shit. And there are other places, North Omaha, South Omaha, where these kids like barely have like functioning textbooks. And I don't know from the eyes, like I said, when I was a poor person, I'm like, okay, I'm going to work hard, libertarian. I can do this, blah, blah, blah. But then as a wealthy person, I look around, I was like, damn, this is some fuck shit. My life and my kids' life are so much easier now just because i have money versus like what it would be otherwise and fuck that kind of sucks yeah so to to send it back um i'm not saying you should be depressed because you see the injustice of the world more or whatever but i do think that there is something to be said where like when you start to notice more shit you're like oof that is kind of like shitty that does kind of suck yeah for the people that haven't read that article some of the really interesting stuff that i found uh there's a 10 percentage points gap between the share of conservative versus liberals who report being very happy in virtually every iteration of the gss study since 1972 Mm -hmm. conservatives do not just report high levels of happiness. They also report high levels of meaning in their lives. The positive association between conservative ideology and happiness only rarely reversed. Liberals were happier than conservatives in only five out of 92 countries and never in the United States. Studies have repeatedly found that conservative both politicians and laymans tend to be more conventionally attractive than liberals and have better sex lives. People who are healthier in childhood have shown to be more likely to become conservatives as adults. Meanwhile, people with higher measured cognitive ability also likely to support economic conservatism and cultural liberalism. What the fuck? Like, why? What's going on there? Um, I mean, we'd have to talk through each of those things, but I understand. yeah, from, from the, I mean, we can, if you want to, I, I think, I feel like here's what I feel. Okay. I have a lot of, um, uh, protective factors that make me able to deal with adversity very well. And I feel like left leaning people don't equip you with those tools at all. Um, you have to be able to be confronted with a difficult situation and overcome it. And it feels like from the left, our idea of compassion for children is removing as much adversity from possible, but you need a little bit at least to like be able to function in the world, you know? And as you remove the ability for people to deal with any type of adversity, and then when you give them excuse after excuse after excuse for why everything is unfair, everything is unjust, everything is horrible, then I was like, well, what do you think is going to happen? Something that's a little bit telling, um, I don't know what you read of that article, but did you see the thing where it was like a person's view of their race and ethnicity versus other people? No. (laughs) So in that article, um, every single race obviously has a very favorable view of people in their own race with one exception. And it was white liberals have a very negative. The graph is like, it's like black people, Asians, Mexicans, and then the negative was for white people. Wow. For hating white people. I'm like, come on, really? That's oh, so, so fucking cringe. This, you're like flagellating yourself. Yeah, it is insane. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a really interesting uh, graph. If you, It's just like seeing like the big bar, the big bar, and then, and then the other big bar. I'm like, Jesus. There's no other ethnic group or combination of factors where somebody hates themselves as much as like white liberals do. I wonder... Did you have a look? Does it show that longitudinally? Does it show when that kicked in? Because I can't imagine it would have been the same. I don't think it, it doesn't ago. show it longitudinally, but that article t- um, frames everything in the perspective from 2011 and onwards. It calls yeah. it the Great Awakening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. I remember. I remember seeing that bit. Mm-hmm. Well, 
one of the other things that I know you've spoken about a good bit recently is kind of the um, concerns of too much freedom. So if you just blast open all of the doors, you don't need to adhere to any expected traditions. There are no stereotypes, no archetypes, nothing is grounded in biological fact and then, you know, perpetuated by culture, which causes everybody to have to find themselves out from first principles. It's like, you're a man? Okay. There are no expectations for what you're supposed to be as a man, which means that your job, Sono, is to deal with the existential pain, the crushing weight of existence, and just work out what you're supposed to be going forward. I wonder whether unlimited degrees of freedom causes people to just become nihilistic. It's like existentially fucking crushed. And then they go, oh, I, I, I don't really know how to do this. And they give up as opposed to perhaps if you do have some slightly more conflicted, but uh, slightly more constrained uh, expectations for a conservative, maybe that does give you guardrails, which actually gives you a little bit more movement in the right direction. Yeah, I think our identity, it, truly, it's fractured among every person that we meet. It's fractured in society to some extent. Like, when we think of what does it mean to be successful at XYZ, we tell ourselves a story that it means I want to be the best person that I can be. But that's truly, I think that's a lie. I think what you want to be is you want to be the best person that, like, everybody thinks you can be or everybody says you can be. Like, what does it mean to be the best version of a man? It's not just what you think it means to be a man. It's well, what does everybody think it means to be a man? And then, and then achieving success on that level where everybody else is looking towards that, I think is truly where a lot of the good feelings are going. Because we have, we're social beings, right? We're, we, we socialize, we, that's how humans succeed. We, we didn't, we never lived as like individual hunters, you know, we're very much like pack animals, social creatures. So if every single person in a society has their own view of everything, some people will be okay, probably a very, very small minority, less than like 2%, probably, or like, like that type of role. I like that type of role. That's fun for me. I'm a very discreet, autistic, like, ah, oh, whatever. But for most people, um, you want to be the best of what everybody agrees is the best to be. It's kind of, it's like, it's the age old, I remember the 90s and the 2000s, there are lots of jokes like this, like, you're unique just like everyone else, you know? When you want to have like the most unique and cool fashion, you don't really want the most unique and cool fashion. You want the thing that everybody else wants, but just not everybody else can afford or get. But it has to be something that we all agree is the coolest thing. And then that's what makes you like the most unique, you know? But but it's, it's this kind of, it's this weird like delusion we have where we're like, oh yeah, like I really do want to be like a truly unique and outstanding individual. And it's like, not really. That's terrifying. You just want to fit very neatly within the fold of what's socially acceptable, but you want to do it like in the in the very narrow parts that not everybody can afford, you know? Is modern liberalism incompatible with happiness on average, do you think, in the way that a lot of people in the sort of super progressive uh, position hold it? When you're, okay, in order to truly learn about like electronics, when you take things apart, like remotes and shit, you don't learn anything until you actually fucking put it back together, okay? And I think one of the problems we have, especially on the left, is we deconstruct so many different ideas, but we don't ask ourselves, why the fuck were they there the way that they were? You know, Chester I think that- Chesterton's electronics. What? Chesterton's electronics, like Chesterton's fans. Oh, I have no idea what that is, but I'll say it. You've not heard of Chesterton's fans? No, what is that? You, you, there is no way that you've gone through your life and not heard of this. So Chesterton's fence is there is a fence in a field. Somebody okay. walks up to it, a conservative or and a liberal both walk up to it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just a panel of fence in the middle of a field. And they think, well, there's, there's no point for this to be here. The conservative presumes someone has put this here, even though I can't work out why it's here, we'd better leave it. Mm -hmm. The liberal says there's evidently no use for it. Let's tear it down. It's basically don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or don't throw bathwater out until you've worked out why there might be a baby in there. Okay, sure. That's exactly what I'm talking about, basically. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, but so I think we had an issue with that. So when you ask, like, is liberalism, um, you asked, is liberalism incompatible with... Like, the current iteration, the most modern mm -hmm. 2023 version of what most people, like, 
caricature as liberalism, is it incompatible with happiness on average? I, I think I think it can be, but I think we're pushing a little bit too far. We're not asking ourselves, like, you know, are we throwing out the baby with the bathwater, basically? Um, there's a lot of cool things that can happen with deconstructing gender roles. And I think there's a lot of value to throwing out some things. Like, I think that, um, for instance, women can be more successful than we ever thought possible. That seems to be a, a, a thing that we're even more surprised about every single day, especially when it comes to school. Correct. But... Does that mean that we need to have no gender roles whatsoever? Like, do we need to abolish every single thing related to, like, male or female archetypes? Because there's a lot of people that draw a lot of value from those. Probably not. We probably don't have to do that. But people are so keen to get rid of everything that it's hard to ground, like, any of our conversations anymore in in any type of real thing, you know? Yes. Um, Well, if you demonize motherhood, that means that there are innate biological urges for women to become mothers, this self-hatred thing that you mentioned about white liberals mm-hmm. must also happen for women who maybe feel like they're supposed to have a career, but it's like, I, well, I kind of like the idea of being a mom. I think 86% of women say that being a stay-at-home mom is an option that they aspire to have, like just the potential that mm-hmm. they could have. But, you know, the self-hatred would be rampant if you were to actually be truthful about that, which causes internal conflict and strife. Yeah, I would imagine so. That 86% number sounds really high. But I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I imagine... It's an option that option. they would aspire to have, like, sure, potential sure. of it. The, the bar is set very low. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I agree. Uh, so it's just, it's so fucking hard for people to... Um, it's really hard for people to, like, live with and accept that other people around them can be different. Like, it feels like people are very keen to just, like, hammer home, like, every fucking idea. Like, uh, for instance, like, on the left for progressives, we talk a lot about, like, diversity of thought and everything, or diversity or whatever. And there's not very much diversity in a lot of friend groups, on the left or the right, you know? Like, people say, oh, I've got, like, a conservative friend. It's like, no, you don't. You've got a friend who's, like, a conservative, but they hate Trump. They're not a big fan of guns. They just, like, don't want a $25 an hour minimum wage, right? Show me a conservative friend you have that, like, drinks moonshine and wears a MAGA hat, okay? Show me, like, a real, because, right, there's not, like, we're very much, like, separated from each other. Case, though was that the case in the 90s um where we had friends that were very different from each other i i feel like the internet has changed things a lot because now you can hyper select groups of friends and individuals that you never could before like you couldn't really find if you had really extremist ideas to some extent you were forced to confront the people around you and kind of uh, integrate you couldn't neighbor. tumble down into your own echo chamber on reddit or telegram or discord because it was you were <laughs> geographically constrained yeah if you wanted to like be a vacuum fucker in like 1990 people are going to kind of look at you kind of weird and you're going to be on it's your own there fucker. somebody that fucks vacuums that's not a euphemism no oh Whereas today, if you wanted to fuck vacuums, you could probably find an online support group for it. Like, they will give you like the best vacuums to have sex with. And you could do that your whole life, you know? But I'm just saying that like you probably to some extent in, in like the eighties, nineties before the internet, like you kinda have to like be talk to your neighbors yes, and, and be somewhat by grounded. The people yeah. around you. Yeah. Whereas today you have fuck, this fucking twenty one, twenty two year old kid who's leaking classified documents to look cool to a bunch of people on Discord. Bro, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's like Jesus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I um it's the, it's the freedom thing again. So the conversation I had in Qatar about masculinity came down to the fundamental tension of the guy I was speaking to said, we need to kind of blow open the doors of what it means to be a man because they're constraining. And some people who don't fit into those existing paradigms are made to feel like they're not a man or they, they there's a discord, right? There's discontinuity between them. Mm-hmm. My realization was, well, yeah, totally. There are certainly ways that you could optimize for every single part of the normal distribution, right? Like right out to zero and a hundred. But if you do do that, then it's the same as it being nothing. Like if masculinity is everything, it's also 
nothing. And the same thing goes for like pick whatever uh, stereotype or archetype you want to have. If you blast the doors open completely, you're saying you need to work this out for yourself. There are no expectations. There are no guardrails. Nobody is coming to help you. And if you do use any of those traditions that have come from the past, you're going to get attacked for it. Yes, precisely. Mm -hmm. That's you being fucking like like, by the patriarchy or mm -hmm. fucking feminism or whatever. Yeah, there's like there's like two ways you can go. Like one is that you have like the hyper rigid defined like this is what it means to be man and nothing outside can work. And then you've got like this like blow open everything and it's like we can't say there's anything about being a man. Correct. And it's like there there is a third option that we were kind of gunning for in like the late 90s early 2000s it felt like where it was like listen we can actually blow open really wide what it means to be a man or a woman if you want to be a guy and paint your nails and wear fucking makeup then go for it and you know what a lot of guys aren't going to be like you but that's okay you just kind of like can do your own thing but now it's not enough to say this can be like really different and that's okay now there has to be kind of like this tear down of like the 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 norm in the middle as well like it can't just be that like you can be unique and kind of do your own thing and whatever now like everybody has to be nothing in order to make it okay instead of teaching people that like sometimes you're just like it's okay to be a little bit weird you can be weird, mm-hmm. but now like weird is like a slur and asking, no, actually I'm not weird. You're just like heterosis normative and this is like a horrible thing for society. It's like, okay, fuck you. Yeah. So optimizing for the extremes mm-hmm. and, and sort of bringing those in and making them part of the norm. One of the other things, again, that I've been thinking about is how this relates to people's um, lack of capacity or desire or motivation to deal with difficulty or suffering or mm-hmm. any kind of like anything that requires you to push through hard stuff to find meaning on the other side of it. And I guess it's kind of the same. Like, why? Why bother? If the system's rigged against me, if there is no meaning in anything, if having a family, all of the previous uh, anchors that we would have found meaning from in life, if all of those have been blown open, then like, fuck it. Like, if I do come up against any kind of difficulty, that should have been snowplowed out of my way before I got here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a different, there's a, there are two concepts. It's called stress and eustress, where, um, Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad a friend taught me this like two years ago. I've never heard of this before. It was really, one thing that's really difficult for me is I love stress. It is very empowering to me. When I'm in stressful situations, I feel like I'm alive. Okay. When people are gunning for my career, writing big things, accusing me of shit, it's very fun for me to navigate those things. It was like, oh fuck. Um, and I learned this term a couple years ago, friend, she read a book called fuck it was like the power of stress or something i don't remember something like that but she said that, well, she said the reason why you probably feel this way is because there's two types of stress. There's stress, which is bad for you physiologically it's a horrible thing it causes a lot of negative health. and then it's something called you stress which is similar to where you're stressed but the difference is for you stress you stress is when you're going through stressful things but you feel like you've got tools to deal with it and stress is when you feel helpless and despite how weird my upbringing is in my life or whatever i've never felt helpless i've always felt like if something is fucked I'm the only person who's going to do anything about it. I have to do something. We'll figure it out. You know, I'm going to have to work fucking 16 hours a day, seven days a week, but we're going to, we'll do something, you know? So for me, stressful situations are like, okay, it's challenging, but like, I got to work my way through it. But when kids don't have the ability to learn how to manage or deal with stressful environments, then stress becomes this like horrific, all encompassing, like blanket of darkness that falls on you. And you're like, fuck, I can't do anything. I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. Like, I like so much. And like, they have no idea how to deal with any of the adversity. So yeah, I, I agree that like people today, like if the adversity is not plowed out of their way, they basically turn into these like helpless frumps of nothing that yes. like, can't deal with anything. Yeah. Why is that? Let's call it fragility to stress. Why is that um, so prevalent in some corners of the left? Do you think? Um, because it seems to me that the right almost identifies itself as being the, even if it's not true, even if this isn't how they show up, it's how they state, mm-hmm. which is we like, I, I'm 
built for hard things. Everyone's Tim Kennedy with a fucking knife behind his back. That doesn't seem to be the same on the left at the moment. And that, to me, seems like a self-defeating ideology because you're making yourself inherently more fragile and less capable of dealing with anything that you come up against, Mm -hmm. including the ideology on the opposite side of the aisle that you say that you fucking hate. Yeah. I I think that people on the left have to adopt my ideology. I think that you have to teach people about the unfairness of systems and and all of that. I think it's good to know. It's good to be aware of it. But you also have to treat people as individuals at the end of the day and tell them like, hey, listen, like despite how unfair the world is or whatever, you can't sit there and cry about it. You have to do something about it. So, you know, um, like class analysis should be like a medical diagnosis. When you go to the hospital and you get a diagnosis for some sort of like medical ailment or medical disease or whatever. The, are you from the left? Are you from the right? Sure. The, the reason why you get the diagnosis, the only reason why we have diagnoses for things is because there's a treatment plan, right? So if you talk to someone and you say like, hey, listen, you're part of this class and you might be affected in this way. This is what you have to do about it, right? It has to come paired with that piece of advice. It can't just be you're part of this class. So you're fucked. You're part of this. So like you'll never get it, you know, right? It's got to be like, okay, well, you have to, you've got this. So keep this in mind do this you know um i I notice it when it comes to like mental ailments people will do that a lot like on twitter people are like oh like i've got ocd i've got adhd blah 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 they'll say these things like okay well what are you doing about it and it's like what do you mean what am i doing about it it's like well what the fuck is the point of knowing you have this thing you're not fucking doing anything about it right or when people will say things like oh i can't do that because of my adhd and it's like what do you mean you can't do that because you're if you have adhd do something about it what the fuck why would you just use that as an excuse to do nothing you know what is your vision or if you were able to try and give some advice to liberals in general you know, you're coming from the left. As far as I'm concerned, you're the most reasonable person that I listen to. Uh, the- Period. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go. Look, <laughs> close. I, dude, I, I really I really appreciate the stuff that you put out. I think mm-hmm. both me and a bunch of people from Austin who would not really listen to anybody that was coming from that side of a talking point are like, fucking Destiny keeps on getting these things right, as far mm-hmm. as I can see. And even if it's not the background that I come from, like, fuck yeah. Like, that's reasonable. It's well-balanced. It's understanding. It's agentic. It's aspirational which I think is really, really fucking important. Like if the vision that you put forward for somebody is to be this like cooked victim that is completely at the mercy of the world around you, who, who re- like, how are you selling this to almost anybody that wants to have a grand vision for their life? Mm-hmm. What is the, first off, what's your prediction for the way that the left moves forward? Not what do you want to happen, but given where we're at, the progressive eating itself, et cetera, et cetera, is that going to correct, self-correct and move more back toward this vision that you've got and something from the late 90s, early 2000s? Or is this continuing to run away with itself into an extreme? I think it's kind of sad, but I think the left, I think the progressives are starting to fall apart. I don't think whatever comes next will call themselves progressive. Like I still do, but I have to qualify it a lot because I don't want people to instantly assume a bunch of things about me. Um, if you've been watching it online, have you seen like the Young Turks? Correct. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. Te- explain to people briefly what's happened with the Young Turks. Um, well, if you've watched my stream, they're basically going through what I went through three years ago, <laughs> where um, it was really funny because like um, Anna was saying on uh, on the Uncurs, she's like, I'm tired of working with these leftists. They come on this show, they build up a big audience, and then they leave the show and they act like they never heard you before and they just start trashing you. And I've, 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 without naming names, I've had people do the exact same thing to me. And it's funny because like, if I, um, if I leave somebody's show and then somebody asks me something in the future. I think I've had people ask me about you because I, I think that you're a bit more into some of the Manosphere Red Pill stuff than I think I am. Tangential. I think so, yeah. In terms of some of your takes. And I, I want to say, people can find it if I'm wrong. But like if people ask me about you, um, if I see a clip of you, I'm going to say, I talked to him in a podcast. He seems like a pretty reasonable guy. We might have some disagreements here. That I think that would be about my take. 
But I feel like other people will come away, like imagine you're me and then I'm like a random leftist. Somebody would show me one clip of you and they'd be like, oh, he probably fucking hates women. He's probably a fucking rapist. That guy is just a fucking piece of shit. And it's like, you talk to this guy, you were on this guy's show, or sometimes you had extended relationships with these people, but as soon as they do one thing wrong, it's like the backlash is fucking insane. Mm, And it happens so much with progressives where for Anna, um, it was over two big things. One is she had something to say about homeless people uh, because there was some homeless guy in Seattle or San Francisco that attacked a woman on the street. This happened a few years, I think a year or two ago. Oh yeah, it was a huge thing. And she was like, this is crazy. This guy should be in jail. And all the progressives like, you can't just put homeless people in jail. They're unhoused neighbors and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my God. There was that big thing. That was a year or two ago with Anna. And then recently it was over the- um, Don't uh, call me a- Birth, womb haver or whatever. Yeah, you know, a birthing person birthing or whatever. Person, yeah. Haver, whatever. And everybody's like, oh, you're a fucking transphobic and you hate trans people. It's like, bro, the young Turks are like avowedly progressive. Like, these guys aren't even like Democrats. These guys are like progressive. And Purity are, spiral. Yeah, holy shit. Purity spiral kicking in yet again. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't think that's going to last. If you're getting like the young Turks breaking off your movement, like, I don't think that's going to last for very much longer. And again, like you said, like, these people have like no fucking tenacity to deal with anything. So they all eat themselves alive. They all have very low ability to cope or deal with adversity. They're, it's just like a horrible, yeah. Someone called you alt-left. I didn't even know that was a thing. <clears throat> it's, oh no. When you say someone, are you talking about the squirrel? No, someone replied to me on Twitter. Oh. Um, they basically said, um, interesting conversation you had about such and such recently. Uh, would love to see someone from the left's take. And I replied and said, interesting. I've got Destiny coming on in a week's time. Like, basically, you're not a real leftist. Or alt-left was like a way to discard the fact that I was bringing you on. That wasn't left mm-hmm. enough. I didn't even know that alt-left was a thing. <clears throat> There's a weird squirrel Twitter account that calls me alt-left, but she says that because I'm like not conservative, but I'm like racist and transphobic and bigoted and a Nazi and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if that was a reference to that or not. Purity spiral kicks in again. Yeah. So, okay, so that's, you've said that you think that this progressive thing is not going to be able to sustain itself. I think people are getting a little tired of like the crazy cancellation shit yes. and the left are obviously all eating themselves alive and they don't, they haven't gotten any political power. It's inherently self-defeating, right? If every everybody is constantly looking for whoever is next going to be shaved off the outside of the purity spiral, it's so self-contradictory that after a little while, everybody has to abandon it because mm-hmm. everyone has been, everyone has had the finger pointed at them or themselves. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I feel like everybody does this. I feel like every time a group gets, like, massively empowered, they can't help but, like, eat themselves alive. I feel like I remember this in, um, fuck, was it, was McCain Palin 2008? Um, oh, maybe you weren't Wrong here. country. Where, yeah, where Republicans get, like, in power, and then they start, like, eating themselves alive because they're starting to cut off because, like, this guy is, like, a Mormon, and this guy is, like, kind of weird. Or blah. So, I mean, like, it just, it feels like any time a group gets in power, they start that weird fucking like purity testing where it's like you can't be part of this group and you don't do this and yeah. but we're seeing that on the right as well to some degree right a little bit although for i think for different reasons kind yes. of trump is fucking insane <laughs> and i think that that like i think there's like a, a unique set of things that are causing the, the, the problem the big difference is the number of tenants on um, in the united states on the left for as much as progressives might be powerful on twitter or in schools or whatever they represent a very small portion of the democratic party they don't really have very much political power there's like four people in the house and like that's it but on the right Trump is their, like, extremist guy. And that's, like, fucking half the Republican Party will follow Trump off a cliff right now. So they have, like, a very unique situation where they're trying to deal with that at the moment, I think. Why didn't the Trump indictment get more media coverage? I thought it would have been. I mean, it was not not covered, but I figured it should have been something absolutely fucking massive. And it didn't seem that way to me. 
Um, it was massive for a day, but our news cycles are very quick now. It's like we get over shit in like one or two days. Um, also, the indictments are kind of like boring. It wasn't like anything like super spicy. Um, even though people have been saying they were going to be pretty boring, they came out and they're kind of like, meh. So, um, but then it's also like Trump is just very fatiguing. There are so many like insane things involving him all the time that at some point it's like hard to care anymore. You're just like, oh, yeah. Like even the whole indictment, the things surround really like if we were to go back like five years or six or seven years, like the most surprising thing would be like, could you imagine having a president of the United States that was fucking porn stars behind us? Like recently had a fucking child's wife's back. (laughs) That's like an insane thing. Could you imagine if Obama had done that? The bar is now set incredibly high. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or incredibly low to how you view it. Yeah. So it's like, so now it's like, oh, Trump did a thing. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, what about the the fact if if this progressive thing isn't viable because the progressives that are telling people how to live their lives are the ones that are killing themselves uh-huh. and on antidepressants what is it like some insane percentage of jeez for some of it's like 50% of i think liberal women at a certain age have been like on some type of like antidepressants like jesus yes <laughs> if if that's the you should live your life this way well come on like proofs in the pudding this doesn't really seem to be growing particularly much corn have you seen the have you seen the twitter video where somebody's like, it's time to like rise up my communist brothers, we need guns and shit. And then it starts playing um, some like fucking 90s pop punk emo song. And it's just like tweet after tweet of like, uh, like, oh, fuck, I have to show this to you later. It's really fucking funny. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Remind me to show you this. People in the audience know what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. So if, if the progressive thing isn't viable, does that mm-hmm. mean that the trad thing's viable? Uh, No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And this is what this is kind of what this is what frustrates me so much is that progressive are obviously fucking lost. But then like conservatives or some of the trad people like, okay, we're gonna go back to being trad. No, you're not. We're never getting rid of abortion. We're never getting rid of birth control. Women are working in ways that they never have before, and they have so much control over reproduction that the world is fundamentally changed. Yeah. And whatever we go forward with in the world, it has to take into account those two realities. So anybody that's walking out here expecting that men can get women with paychecks or by being alpha, you're, everything you're saying is doesn't matter anymore. You're, you're talking about a world that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and anybody that's talking about like very traditional roles in terms of like who's earning more money in the household or whatever, you're probably not relevant anymore. So we have to carve out some world in the future where we have some idea of a masculine or male archetype that's compatible with the fact that your wife might be earning or even out earning you, right? That has to be a thing because once Pandora's box is open in terms of like the reproduction shit and the working shit, yep. it's just not going to go away. Women are going back to, to what they were before. It's not going to happen. And it sucks because like, it would be interesting to see a lot of like trad talks in that direction. There's only, you know what? There's only one person I've ever heard give a good take on trad relationships. And it was fucking Ben Shapiro. Did you see Ben Shapiro's uh, conversation with Lex Friedman? Bits of it. Uh, I come from a very conservative background. I grew up Catholic. And when I listen to traditional people talk about male-female relationships, the fact that the woman was staying in the house, it was always something that was spoken about with the utmost amount of respect. Um, a woman might stay in the house, but like this, this whole, the, the way that like the father is the leader, like it's kind of true, but it was always with consultation and consent and cooperation. Yes. Always. And the way that people talk about it today is with such fucking derision and hatred for women. And like, oh yeah, like she stays in the house. The man is the leader. The man is in charge. And it's like, even the sitcoms before, even when the fathers were highly competent, show that the woman was very much an important figure. Bill Cosby was like, was he a doctor or a 
dentist and like his wife like even he was scared of his wife um in the fresh prince of bel-air um the uncle um uncle phil was a fucking high-powered attorney lawyer and his wife was very scary right that was always the case the way you rolled that forward into the period where men became the clowns the homer simpsons of the world Mm -hmm. the peter griffins of the world Mm -hmm. it's even more it's the one that is the competent one she's the one that's balanced she runs the home she runs the man Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah even in a traditional sense so like when when the trap people talk about this is one of my big complaints about like red pillars is there's always so much adversity between men and women Correct. rather than like cooperation so any trad thing going forward um it, it, i don't think there's anything wrong with trad stuff some of it is fun um like some masculine and feminine roles can be fun in the bedroom out of the bedroom whatever but it just has to be done with respect to where the kind of like the labor market is and the education and everything and the reproductive rights are today because that's not going to change so it has to incorporate that going forward how do you square the circle of uh women's i'm going to call it over uh, success, but mm-hmm. women's increased success in both education, employment, and status with the fact that on average women want to date a man who's as educated or more, as employed or more, as statusful or more. Women want to, but that has changed pretty dramatically. Um, I wish I had the study in hand, but I want to say it was like 20 years ago, it was like it was like 45% of women would never consider dating a guy that was earning more than that was earning less than them. And I think that number has fallen out of like 29%. Um, and it'll probably continue to change over time. But um, yeah, that's going to be something changing going forward. The, this might just be my capitalist mindset, but I, but like I always, when people email me and they always say like, Destiny, I want to start like this business. Or I want to start this website. I want to blah, blah, blah. Like, what's your piece of advice to me? The one thing that I always ask somebody is, if you want to start a small business, first question, in my opinion, you should be able to answer is why would somebody use your thing over anything else? If you don't have a snappy response to that, then quit. Go do something else. You need to know immediately, like, they want to use my thing or watch me because I can offer this unique thing. And I think you should approach everything in life like that. So if you're a man and you're approaching a woman and you're trying to say, like, okay, I want to be in a relationship with a woman. Well, what do you have to offer? What's the value add? It can't just be a paycheck because women are working. It can't just be dick because she's got birth control and Tinder. It has to be something more than that. And people aren't equipping men, I think, to, to have a good answer to that question. Um, you know, you can talk about like the alpha hypermasculine stuff, but like to be that masculine, you're talking about like one percent of guys. You know, you're talking about like even six figure, depending on where you're at, might not necessarily be the shit. You know, you're talking about a very, very, very small percentage. So I feel like a lot of people aren't equipping men like to be able to like have that value add for women. What are some of the value adds then? If it's outside of providing resources, employment, etc. There's going to be uh <laughs> I'm going to trigger the fuck out of a lot of people saying this. Here's how I view like the world is gone, okay? Women um were feminine, men were masculine, and women over the past 20, 30, 40 years have done a really good job at kind of like capturing and incorporating a whole bunch of masculine traits okay women are working they have a lot of independence they're kind of managing their shit they've done a really good job at incorporating that while also still being um feminine some people say that make you less feminine but like they still have like the feminine traits too they can take care of houses they can clean and all this shit maybe some of them can't cook whatever um for men I feel like because of the way that we were raised, the way that we were socialized or whatever, um, we still kind of have our masculine things, like men can work jobs and do that. Um, and they do, sometimes even to their detriment. Uh, for example, like over the coronavirus pandemic, um, 
men were staying home more than women to continue working to provide their, for their families, right? So the education gap grew even more during the pandemic. Seven times more men dropped out of college during COVID than women. Yeah, to maintain like households and everything, right? So men are still working, they're doing that. But the problem is men haven't incorporated any of the feminine traits into their like psyche. So women are now like these like alpha, omega, like masculine, feminine creatures that Same are now female. going through, yeah, they're going through the world. And men are like, okay, well, um, I'm like, I'm very masculine. And it's like, okay, well, can you be communicative? Do you have a emotional intelligence can you do any of these things things that traditional like guys don't give a fuck about because like i don't like i don't need to be emotionally intelligent i have you a paycheck yeah you need my money to survive bitch what are you gonna do right and now she's like well i have enough money fuck you <laughs> i was like okay so um, one of yeah. the one of the things that i could see as a complication or a wrinkle there is mm -hmm. that the sex drive and desire for women from men is mm -hmm. so great that even a woman who has ingrained her masculine is still going to be attractive to the guy. For sure. I'm not convinced that a guy who has embodied his feminine becomes more attractive to a woman, especially when you have this disparity with regards to earning and education. I think it's possible. I just think we have like really weird and toxic ideas of like what feminine means, especially from like red pill or manuscript spaces. I run into this all the time that for instance, it's, oh man. <clears throat> okay. Here's a really, really insane example to me that I hear. Okay. I don't know if you've said this, but a lot of red pillars say this thing where it's like, if you're ever, you should never, ever be emotionally vulnerable to a woman because I've she never, might- never, ever, okay. ever said that. I'm not, uh, just to uh -huh. get it out there so yeah. that you understand my positioning within the world of men's advice. I'm not a part of the manosphere. I never okay. have been. I'm not red pill. I never have gotcha, been. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I am so blue pilled that I'm cooked in the eyes of the manosphere. Okay. And I'm so bigoted that I'm a misogynist in the eyes of Guardian readers. Gotcha, so gotcha, I okay. split the difference straight down the middle. You have- Oh, okay, okay. And when it comes to the emotional vulnerability thing, mm -hmm. that is a story that is told by men who have only ever been in relationships with women who haven't got good uh, emotional control. There are women out there who will, and I've been in relationships with some of them, that saw vulnerability as a strength. Sure. me opening up as- Or even, yeah, or even so people will say that, like, if you're ever emotionally vulnerable, she might leave you, right? But if you're like, an, if you're an emotionally intellectual man, you know emotional intelligence, um, emotional vulnerability is one of the biggest tools a manipulator can use to totally fucking mindfuck somebody. Because showing limited amounts of vulnerability can get a woman ex incredibly obsessed with you. And any guy that like, is like a manipulative person knows that. Well, think um, about the, what the push and pull is, right? The mm -hmm. high powered boss bitch, female lawyer that wants to be tied up and dommed by her husband on a nighttime. Why is that hot? Why is that interesting because of the polarity sometimes yeah mm -hmm. the same the same thing goes for the guy that can be vulnerable on one side but is also super competent you know going out there and doing his thing is able to show strength but show something else too yes yes absolutely the polarity is really important and i know this in my life because i'm online i'm like hyper aggressive ultra debate bro you know very uh, i'll say masculine like, yeah like i'm very yeah i'm very 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 aggressive but then um did you say want to be pegged in the bedroom no <laughs> nice try um but like on a personal level if somebody sees me and i'm like a bit more emotionally vulnerable or maybe yes. open to somebody it feels like very special it feels very earned like oh cool like and every woman i've talked to i have never in my life had a woman tell me like god i wish you would just be more aggressive to me personally it's always like i wish you would open up more i wish you'd be like more blah 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 and it's like i, I try i have issues with Sometimes, but like, yeah, but um, that just that's an idea of like what it means to be more feminine. But every time you say that to like a red pill or whatever, they're like, oh, you want to just like cry and sob and blah blah blah. It's like, no, that's called being a fucking child, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Not well, being emotionally intelligent. Think yeah. about that. Uh, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Quote that everybody loves to throw around. Mm -hmm. Okay, turn that on its head and say it's exactly the same thing. But in this instance, being a warrior is being able to integrate your emotions. Yeah. 
But okay, is it not better to have an understanding of your emotions, be in connection with them, and then choose to deploy them when you think that it's appropriate and be able to open up, as opposed to being like, no, this is just a black box that me and no one else is ever going to look at, mm-hmm. and I'm going to die at age 70 because of fucking like emotional, spiritual death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's really dumb. Like that, having that emotional intelligence is so, so, so important. It's the number one thing I need to work on in my life that I'm like actively like working a lot with my wife, even is like trying to be like a little bit more emotionally communicative because I've grown up like as a very stoic person. But, um, I think, I think that every woman wants like, that type of communication with a guy on a on a healthier level but a lot of men don't learn it because we don't really communicate with ourselves like that um there are some women out there i think that would see i've been around them ones that uh will say if i see my partner make a joke that doesn't land i like i cringe inside my ovaries shrivel up inside that they're hyper hyper attuned to a man's state there might be there are also some women that only did guys with super huge forearms (laughs) but i mean like there's always going to be like the exceptions of course uh, whatever you say yeah well there you go yeah but Um, i mean like for in general like being a bit more emotionally intelligent and communicative is pretty important as a guy i think you have to you need to be especially to understand like women like you need to be more in tune with yourself to see it like in other people too remember as well that the biggest predictors when it comes to longevity in relationship are emotional stability Mm -hmm. conscientiousness growth mindset those are the ones that they have the best predictive power. Mm-hmm. The stuff like um, traditional attractiveness, education level, education level is uh, controlled for a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but earnings have none of this, mm-hmm. but that's not what you're optimizing for. And yeah. this is where I think that in trying to integrate some of the insights that I talk about a ton on the show, but saying, okay, what's your outcome goal here? Is your outcome goal to be able to fuck as many girls as possible or to sleep with one guy and never catch feels? Mm-hmm. Or is it to try and have a flourishing relationship that's going to make you feel fulfilled and not mean that you die alone at like fucking 75 with a ton of dogs? Yeah. Like, what are we optimizing for? Yeah. Yeah, and like I talk about like, in my opinion, there's, like, people treat it as, like, there's two boxes. You've got femininity and masculinity. And then, like, you try to, like, maximize women, femininity, men, masculinity. And I always do it as, like, there's, like, three boxes. You've got, like, femininity, maturity, and masculinity. We all need to work on our maturity. And then, like, femininity and masculinity is, like, really fun things on the side. You know, if you've got a guy who is incredibly intelligent, he's a hard worker, he's really driven, he's in tune with everything, and he's, like, he's, you know, tries his best, like... That's awesome. If he's also like 6'4", that's a huge, that's a bonus. It's like a fun thing on the side. Or if you've got a girl who's got like, you know, she's got all of her stuff figured out and she's got like big boobs. Like, that's cool. Like the masculine and the feminine things are like really fun things on the side and they can like be really fun things to play with. But that's not like the main driving contributing successes in these relationships, I think, you know? Think about what current dating optimizes for though. It optimizes for those easily displayable objective metrics of success. It's the Rolex on your Tinder profile. Mm-hmm. It's the number of followers that you've got. It's the blue tick. It's the car. It's the size of the boobs. It's a lip filler, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Yeah. And for fucking men today, it's fucking TRT. <laughs> it is TRT. I can't, I think guys are heading towards a world where we're finally going to start to see how negative social media can affect you in the way that it has been affecting women for so long. Okay. Why? Because all these motherfuckers now, okay, all these guys, I don't give a fuck, 99% of fitness influencers are on fucking gear. And TRT counts as gear now. Okay. okay? Every motherfucker does. I've seen so many videos, so many things where guys are like, oh, these are like my six month uh, results for like lifting or whatever. And these guys are like, they're lean as fuck. They're getting huge. And it's like, oh, like I'm 27 lifting for the first time in five months. This is my, like, bro, really? So um, why is that, what, what's that got to do with the female impact of social oh, media? Oh, because I think for women, I think women see like a whole bunch of like, this is what women should look like. You should be this and that. And like everybody's using like filters and lip filler and, and but TRT is the 
in for guys it's like filter. yeah it's gonna be next to like oh well if you're a guy and you've been lifting for six months you should look like this and it's like no uh, shot yeah interesting and i've seen more and more of those like pop up everywhere now where it's almost like and because trt is so accessible these days have I'm you ever pretty, had your levels done have you ever checked what your <laughs> yeah tests are? they're What's very it? low <laughs> what, what do you think what uh, the last time i checked is 308 <laughs> Wow, that is low. Yeah, yeah, that's like nearly subclinical. I think like you would. It's like I've heard the range is anywhere from three hundred to one thousand. Or so you've got eight. You're playing with eight. Yeah, or three fifty <laughs> to one thousand. So I'm already below it. But I don't have any of the symptoms of low T. So like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing. I'm in the gym. I'm doing my best. But yeah, well played. Um, we were talking before we got started about sort of some of the challenges of how uh, people observe success, especially in the modern world. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of young people that watch the stuff that you do. You probably communicate with a bunch of them either like through stream or privately as well. Mm-hmm. What do young people believe will make them happy in the modern world, but actually won't? What are some of the myths that they're told about sort of finding meaning and, and fulfillment in life? Um, I feel like this is a really hard one for me because I think my mind works in a pretty unique way and that I am a very individual, not powered by other people's uh, approval kind of mindset. It's, it's helped me a lot in the streaming world because I've been able to deal with a lot of people hating me at one point in time. Um, so I'll say this cautiously. But I feel like chasing other people's approval is it's a it's a bad way to live because it's very much like live by the sword, die by the sword type of thing. To where if other people's approval makes you feel really good about yourself, other people's disapproval is going to make you hate yourself. You're outsourcing your self worth, uh, self worth to the mm-hmm. crowd. Yeah, I've always been big on like self esteem and self confidence are called that because they come from yourself. Like if you're a self confident person, but only because you've got a huge support network and everybody around you is telling you a good job, it's not. That's fragile. not truly. That's yeah. You like self-confidence is like, I want to do a thing and everybody's calling me fucking retarded, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's the right thing to do. Like that's like self-confidence. That's what you really want. You know, to, to some extent, you don't want to be like a narcissist, but um, yeah. So I think that um, trying to find things that give you like a genuine source of joy that like give you like a deep sense of meaning that feel really good for me. It was music is music. It's really fun to do musical things. I don't care if other people like it or don't. That's a really cool hobby don't for me. Don't care to if invest. you suck. No, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I'm not to like impress anybody. Um, those types of things are really important. If you spend your whole life living by other people's opinions of you, you'll die by other people's opinions of you. Yeah. There's a desire sometimes that I notice in myself, especially if I'm in a, like a zero sum, a backbitey mentality where I'm trying to get one over on somebody else mm-hmm. that I'll find myself almost trying to win at a game that I know that they care about, but I don't. So let's say that uh, I get a ton of pushback on the podcast or on something that I've done uh, to do with the fact that I'm way too blue pilled. Uh, and I'll think, okay, well, I'm bigger than you. Like I'm in better condition. I'm leaner than you. I'm stronger than you. I'll mm-hmm. better go to the gym and this will motivate me more to go to the gym. And it's like, no, hang on a second. Like you're playing a game that you know that those people value, mm-hmm. but they, it's not your game. Like where does this come from? Yeah. So you can almost find a way where people take the desires of those around them, import them in and then say, oh, I'm going to do all of these different things which involve winning at everybody else's game mm-hmm. without ever working out what the game is that I care about, without working out what would genuinely fulfill me. Yeah. And then when you look back and you think, oh, what is the list of accomplishments or pursuits that I've gone through? And you just see shadows of everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I try really hard to think because I just watched in the past day or two something about like how when other people like invoke hatred in you, you're, you're basically letting them control you and in, in your life. Yeah. Yes. Um, like a guiding principle that I've used for my life is there are things that I want to do. 
And I have to be a certain person to do those things. So for me, success is like improving myself and kind of gradually sculpting and building myself to be that person. And the only person I can compare myself to is myself because everybody's got like a unique starting point. Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah, maybe it might. Um, Jordan Peterson, a lot of good things to say before like 2018, I think before his brain broke real, honestly, truly really did have a lot of good things to say. Um, but yeah, like it's truly like the most important person to compare yourself to is yourself. It's they, he has the same starting position as you. He has all the same things going for him and against him. And as long as you're doing better than you were yesterday, like you're making improvements. And that's like the, the best way to live, I think. One of the problems you would have there, especially from current progressive ideology, would be that doesn't take into account all of the challenges that we're facing systemically and so on. You go, well, no, it does, because both versions of you are facing the, the exact same, same problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is so disempowering. Again, this sort of everything is outsourced, everything is systemic, the world is against you. Uh, I can see how it must be very disempowering. It must be very disempowering to be somebody who, you know, there's a, a how much is a political ideology her- her- heritable? It's like 25%. Point, I think it's like 0.6 or 0.7. It's like very high, like 60, oh, 70%. Okay. Very, very, very heritable. Yeah. Right. So my point being that you are basically working from a genetic backup of what's going on here and you can have a world in which you want to have the driven individual agency personal sovereignty all of that shit Uh but you also happen to hold this political view that doesn't really seem to work and it seems to be a lot of friction going on it's there is friction i don't know how to explain it but you there there is a way you, you, there's got to be a way to do it. You, have you know to that you're it. an outlier with this. Right? I know. But like, so for instance, right, I've been taking the gym very, very, very seriously for the past like six, seven months. I've been taking it pretty seriously for the past two years, but very seriously for the past six, seven months. Good man. Okay. When I go to the gym, okay, it's hard. Okay. And it's hard to progress. And I'm probably starting off at a lower level of muscle and I'm probably taking a little bit longer to progress in my lifts than I would otherwise. And when I go to the gym, two things have to exist in my mind at the same time. One is okay, progress is going to be a little bit slower than me. Okay. I know that. I understand that. Okay. I accept that, but I still have to try as hard as I can. Those two things can't counteract each other. And if you're, if you're not careful, the problem is that like, in a way, 308T for me, there's a nanoliters per decigram or what the fuck, whatever it is, right? 308 for me is like the liberal mindset and being as big as possible is the conservative mindset, right? If I let that 308 number define me, why the fuck should I even bother going to the gym? I'm never going to be as big as I could have been if I would have started lifting at 15. I'm never going to be as big as a guy willing to do TRT. I'm never going to be as big as a guy that's just natty, more more testosterone than me. Fuck it. Why should I waste my time? But if I go to the conservative route, right? Okay, well, you know, it's taking me six months of grinding to get my squat up to like 195. Like another guy would be at like 315 by now, right? I'm a fucking weak piece of shit. Why the fuck am I like... You know, I can't, I'm trying every day. I'm just going to add five pounds to the bar. I'm going to injure myself like every two months, right? That's like the conservative mindset. I was like, fuck, I'm not, I don't care about this image. I'm going to work as hard as possible. Um, and it's funny because in a way, um, through my kind of like lifting history, I've dealt with both of these, right? Um, on the conservative mindset, one is like, I don't, I don't know how many people realize this, but like pushing yourself in the gym is actually really easy. The hard thing is the discipline to control your meals, your sleep, and the routine. That's the really hard part. It's really easy to go to the gym and work out till you get injured. I can do that all day. And I've done that before. It's like, fuck it. 10 more pounds on the bar. Fuck, I just fucking snap my shit. Fuck, I injured my shoulder. Fuck me, you know? Um, and then on the liberal side, it's also where it's like, ah, fuck me. My tea is low anyway. Do I really need to be shredded? Right? I got a lot of fucking money. I fuck a lot of women. I'm really successful online. Who the fuck cares if I have low tea and I don't work? Yeah, right? So there's... 
I don't know how I do it. I, I manage to for most things in my life somehow, but you have to be able to balance those two things out where it's like, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can because I want to be the best version of myself. And I recognize that how good I can be as myself might be controlled by some environmental factors, but like th- there's the environmental factors are saying that I can exist in this range, but in this range, the the conservative or personal factors are going to determine where in this range it's I exist. It's all on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really like that conception. One of the thing I've been thinking about is um, the gap between opinions and deeds. Mm-hmm. So for pretty much all of human history, the thing that you said and the thing that you did were very closely aligned, right? You couldn't say a thing that didn't involve you being there to say it. There wasn't some, you know, up until the fucking printing press and who had access to that. So if you were going to make a statement about how virtuous you are, about the way that you acted, the way that you showed up, what time you got up, how many berries you caught, what mm-hmm. animal you killed, etc., etc., all of that would be pretty much there in front for everyone to stress test it. Mm-hmm. Is this real? Now, someone's opinions and their deeds have been separated so much that all that we see of people, for the most part, are opinions. You can be the most loving, caring partner, the most well-balanced, liquid, whatever. Pick whatever it is that you say. That is able to be out front, and no one is really going to be able to stress test what's happening behind. This, I think, is fostering the performative empathy, or the ability for people to do a performative empathy, which is why I'm always so skeptical when someone starts talking online about proselytizing. They're so um, caring about this particular maligned group, but then a couple of months later, you see them throw the same sort of shade that they've just been protecting someone against at another group. And this is why hypocrisy and scandal are probably, I would say, the like the most catnip content on the internet, Mm -hmm. because what you get to do is it's perfectly designed for social media. Get to say, here is something that happened before or that they said before, and here is something that they've done now. Mm -hmm. Look at the difference between these two things. And that's, again, the performative empathy thing, to me, makes a lot of super progressive commentators seem disingenuous. And I think... Yeah, it's it's a really hard one. Um, Something that I said earlier um, in this conversation was that our identity is sharded between all of society. Like, who you are is not just who you are. It's what everybody thinks you are. Yes. Right? As much as that is a horrible concept. Um, This is something that I've had to wrestle with a lot of the past few years. For me, personally, my kind of idea was like, listen, I'm going to let my actions speak for themselves, okay? You might think I am or whatever, but like, look at my history. Uh, And I've realized that's actually not good enough (laughs) to where, so like, for instance, um, I think I've done a lot of like pretty cool political things in terms of motivating my fan base to get out and canvas for people. Uh, Personally, I've spent, I think at this point, over $150,000 housing people, hotels, getting people to go to places, canvassing and all this. I've spent a lot of my own money on this uh, and a lot of my own time on this. I think it's a really cool political project, but I'm not like here like bragging about it or jerking off about it because, you know, my actions speak themselves. But I notice when I show up in certain areas, people are very 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 quick to be like oh didn't you say this about kyle rittenhouse didn't you make this joke about black people didn't you say this and it's like okay well i've also done like this shit. i don't know about that i don't care and it's like okay well fuck so to some extent like doing the pr and the virtue signaling is actually kind of important mm. and now i've had to be like okay hey i did this thing i need you guys to know that because in the future i know you fuckers are going to attack me for every negative thing i said so i need to be like front and center with all the positives uh, so it's very irritating thing to have to work with because i i do agree to some extent it's nice to like i want my actions to speak for themselves but like your actions don't say anything <laughs> you have to actually speak for them you know yes, it's, and it's because, very frustrating yeah. because there is an asymmetry of attention placed on the stuff that you do that is bad versus depending the on the agent that, you... that you're interacting with because they don't want to give attention to your good things you know they just yes want... so you need to be out front with those sometimes well again it, the, but the problem is in a world in which opinions and deeds have been separated so much mm-hmm. your the, the level of uh, how how heavily you're going to be scrutinized and discredited for the things that you say. It's like, okay, where's the fucking receipts? Show me the homeless person that you housed. Show me the images of them going in there. And mm-hmm. then if you do do that, 
oh, well, you're capitalizing on your, like, fucking social media altruism project. I think you just have to own some of it. That's what I say. Um, like, for instance, like, for people that... People will do YouTube videos where they give away money to homeless people, they do whatever, and people are like, oh, you're just doing that for publicity? And it's like, well, it's not just for blah, blah, blah. No, 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 fuck it. Say you are doing it for publicity. Who the fuck cares? The homeless guy that's getting the money doesn't give a fuck why you're giving him money. He doesn't give a fuck if you're doing it for publicity. He's getting good shit. And who cares if you're getting publicity? You're getting publicity doing a good thing. Who cares if that's the only reason you're doing it? The only reason that I donated a million dollars from malaria research in fucking Africa is because I knew I get... Who cares? Fine. That's fucking fine. You should get good attention for it. I think people should just own it. But people are so scared of being like vain or whatever. Um, I mean, being vain in those ways, I think is fine. Like if you're vain because you're a philanthropist or you're vain because like, oh, like I, I mentored, you know, 550 young boys and got them out of like prison and to fight like okay yeah who cares brag about it be you know whatever you want about it. i think it's okay to do that but yeah i wonder whether <laughs> i wonder what's going to happen moving forward i wonder whether it's going to be the case that we need good deeds to be done so that people are going to be given more leeway with that because the amount of scrutiny that does get applied to this stuff and the amount of like it's a disincentive if you were to say everybody the post about doing good things online should quite rightly be like well yeah well done you did go and do that but this sort of culture of cynicism and, and satire and like sardonic commentary that we spoke about earlier on seems to kind of take that away. This is... Yeah, I don't think any of that actually matters at all. Um, we talked about this earlier. I think one or two bad things is enough to undo literally everything you've done. Like Anna is a really great example for the Young Turks. This is like the largest or was, the, I think still is, the largest like progressive left-leaning channel. Um, I think Cenk with Kalkalinski helped start and fund the Justice Democrats and everything. Um, none of that matters. She made one or two bad statements and now people are like, fuck Anna, like I'm done with her. <laughs> it's uh, like, what the fuck? Do you know what the peak end rule is? Have you heard of this? Nope. Okay, so it's a cognitive bias that was discovered by Eamon Tversky and Daniel. Kahneman. Kahneman wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm -hmm. uh, during a colonoscopy, every minute, the patients were given a rating and they could rate how painful the experience was. Then one day later, they were asked to rate how painful it was and six months later asked to do the same. What they discovered was that there are two parts of an experience that determine the um, reflective pain that someone remembers. And it was the peak, how high it got at any point throughout, and the end. So they actually discovered that they could change the remembered pain of the colonoscopy by extending the length of the colonoscopy at the end and bringing the, the pain was basically how much it was moved. If you get moved a lot, it's a lot of pain. If it doesn't get moved much, it's not. So they had a control to be mm -hmm. able to work out. So what they did was they found if they just left the little scope thing in the ass for an extra couple of minutes at the end, and it wasn't very painful, in retrospect, it was half as painful. The memory was half as painful. So it's called the peak end rule. Interesting. I came up with something called the peak hate rule, okay. which is basically that every single content creator on the internet is defined by their most egregious transgression and their most recent transgression. So uh, Jordan Peterson is both a transphobe for, you know, the Bill C-16 thing that he both became most famous for. And I don't know what he said, uh, Sports Illustrated, let's say. Like, that's his thing. Uh, Hassan Abi would be most famous for uh, American Deserves 9-11. Uh -huh. Yep. And whatever he the bought a mansion. Donating to Amazon, I think, was a big thing. Uh, the Amazon Union thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's I, okay. It's so interesting you say this. Because um, you got there in such a different way. But I actually 1 million percent agree. I have two different things that I apply this to. Um, one... Uh, has to do with streaming, okay? And I see this with a lot of people. They'll get into a very dramatic situation and online, when you're in drama, I don't know if you've ever been like at the uh, at the receiving end of like a hate mob online. Not yet. I'm when it happens, for it, to happen. yeah. it feels like the end of the world. And I always tell somebody, my saying is like, people only remember you for your last three streams. Whatever the fuck you do, 
Don't stop streaming. I know it sucks and it feels like it, but keep streaming and in two or three days, people will fucking forget. But if you stop now, this is your defining moment and you will never come back. And that rule has worked 100% of the time. I've known people, they got into a big drama and like, fuck, I can't. And they take a little bit of break off or whatever and they're done. They can't do it. They can't Atrioc. go back. Yeah. Because it was, wait, what'd you say? Atrioc. Atrioc. Was he, oh, was he the deep fake guy? Yeah, the deep fake guy. Yeah. Yeah, he took a big long break, which mm-hmm. just allowed everyone to kind of get sucked into it. Did he get back to streaming? He was a really big streamer though, right? Massive time. I think he's got it. He, he might come, but he might be able to break it. Just, but like in general, I've known a lot of people who, it's usually for like the mid-sized people where they'll take that break and then they might try to come back like once, but then that wave of hate flashes and then they quit and they just, they couldn't That's push That's the footnote through. to your entire career. Yeah, and they can't come back and they get fucked by it. And I'm like, just keep, I've had like really dramatic things. And I had, um, I went to an M- I went to an MLG. I got into a stupid situation. What's MLG? Uh, pro gaming tournament. This was like 11 years ago. Okay. Um, really dramatic. I did stupid things. Uh, girl hacked my Twitter account, posted my dick on my Twitter. Just very dramatic, very Hilarious. stupid thing. Um, and I was home. I streamed the next day. I was like, fuck it. Streamed the next day. People made jokes, whatever. Two or three days later, as dramatic and sentence, people were like, okay, we're done. We're through it, right? Just keep streaming. Keep streaming. No matter what the fuck happens, keep streaming. In two or three days, everyone will forget. What about how to deal with it interpersonally? Let's say that it's not necessarily a content creator, or mm-hmm. it might be, uh, it could be someone that just does something that causes the world to point a lot of fingers at them how do you like where do you go within yourself do you spend time with friends are you do you reframe it in a particular way do you you just have to keep giving new impressions of you i think um the, so i get i had two examples one was the, the professional level. the second thing is have you ever heard of the saying um you, you never get a second chance to make a first impression yes. first impression is so important something that i found this is especially true like on dates or when you're making a new impression on somebody um in my personal opinion the first impression is largely irrelevant what really matters is like the last like 30 to 60 minutes of the person yeah yeah. It's like if you go on a date and something is like really fun and exciting right at the beginning and like the last like two hours are kind of like boring, that's what they're going to remember you for. But if you go on a date and it's kind of like it starts awkward, it's whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you end on a high note. You're That's so much better. It's so good to do that. Like just end on like a really positive impression of you or something. And the the, the next time, they're, that's what they're going to have on their head more than like remembering the first impression. Right. I find personally people don't remember first impressions that much. They definitely remember the last interaction they've had with you though. So yeah, keep having impressions of people. Somebody had a negative impression if you had a negative thing like treat keep trying to have positive interactions obviously be careful with this i'm not saying that like if you give a bad impression go stalk somebody at work and try to like make them see you differently or whatever but um yeah you can fuck up but like don't let that be your last moment with somebody where you're like oh i fucked up i'm not going to talk to them again because that's all they're ever going to remember of you yes mm-hmm. i really like that and i like the fact that we've come at this from it couldn't be more different very very different very yeah. different angles uh how worried are you about being replaced by gpt6 <laughs> Do you think is it going to take six? The five isn't going to do it. I don't fucking know. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I spoke to Rob Wiblin, guy from Eighty Thousand Hours podcast, like mm-hmm. big in EA effective altruism, existential yeah. risk, uh, and he basically said that he's like looking toward the twilight of his career as he winds down to be replaced by like Robot Rob or fucking like Rob Chat or something. Mm-hmm. Is there a is there something unique about human creation that you think that's not going to be able to be replicated by ChatGPT down the line? Like within the next, let's say within the next 10 years. Uh, I think that AI is going to force us to confront a lot of very uncomfortable aspects of humanity that we have never thought about before, or maybe like philosophers have thought about, but normal people haven't. And I don't know what answers we're going to decide there. What like, what's some examples? Um, what is art? It's very, very different. So here on the broadest sense, computers are calculators. And we thought for a long time 
that's all they can do. But things like creativity, inspiration, that's exclusively the domain of humans. A computer's not going to be able to create a beautiful art piece, make a symphony, blah, 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 right? They Clearly, they can. Here comes mid-journey, smashing that exactly. idea. Exactly. Winning art contests and triggering people. And, you know, now, if you ever hate artists online, the funniest thing to do is when somebody posts a picture, um, just go in the replies and be like, this is so beautiful. What prompt did you use? Wow. And they'll lose their fucking mind. Wow. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the um, clearly, like, if a human can do it, a computer can probably do it. And that's a very unsettling thing for a lot of people to realize. And there's, man, I feel so bad. There's a lot of philosophers like philosophy of language and existence and all this shit that they would have had a lot of profound stuff to say. But it's like, what is it like? What does it mean for something to even exist? Uh, so, for instance, like if I can start creating stuff digitally, like here's a question, okay? I, I I can use an AI to make like a fake person now, right? And now I can get to the point almost where I can convincingly create like dialogue, comedy, like they can do like a full podcast. And you look at that and you're like, okay, well, that person's not real. So it's not the same. And it's like, well, how real are they compared to like me? If we never interact, there's a lot of people watching this will never interact with me in real life ever, right? Is there a meaningful difference between my existence and that person's existence? The yep. person that isn't even real? Everything's just like a pea zombie, right? A yeah. little bit, yeah. Um, or even more like... Yeah, like, like, what does it mean for a thing to even be? That, like, it's kind of a, that's like a question where it's like, I'm really high, but now we actually have to really think about that. What does it mean for something to exist? What does it mean for something to be human inspired? Well, what does it mean for you to be you? Or what is it, what, what is the threshold of bandwidth and resolution at which you need to be representing yourself for it to actually be you? Mm -hmm. Does it need to be 95%? Because there are tons and tons of things that you think and do that don't come across externally, True. right? Like your inner world is a billion times richer than what you represent to the outer world. Mm -hmm. And given the fact that all that anybody else sees of you is what you represent, mm -hmm. if you can find something that does all of the outside stuff within, you know, a couple of percents of accuracy, well, what, what, what does that mean that it isn't you? We basically, there has to be some axiomatic like foundational belief that just says I'm going to value something because it's human, but it's like unjustified. That's all it is because like we can imagine a world where AI is now creating art and maybe people are like, okay, well I only like imperfect art because I know that it was made by a human. Well, an AI could make imperfect art yes. and it's like, okay, well, right. At some point it's like, I like it just because it's human made, but there's like, no, there's actually, there's no justification for that. We thought there was, well, it's beautiful because it's unique. AI can create unique things. Well, it's beautiful because it's imperfect. AI can be imperfect. Well, it, uh, you know, like, so you think that it's just a question of, uh, um, like finesse and uh, and resolution and, and uh, how much detail this thing can go into that let's say I don't know whether you listened to the episode that uh, Joe Rogan like it was AI Joe Rogan did with AI the dude that runs OpenAI and they're talking it's a full hour long podcast and they're speaking backward and forward but there's some things that are missing in there fewer errors than you would expect the laughs aren't quite right you know basically the degree of humanness hasn't been fully replicated but if you roll the sophistication of the program forward, it just starts to, oh, well, what you need is someone to get the word wrong three times and forget someone's exactly. name. And da, yeah. da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. So the imperfect nature gets brought in. All right. So are you are you out of a job within 10 years? Um, I, I have no idea. Uh, we got to figure out how it's going to work. And then you've got to exist within that paradigm and figure out how to work it. Because, yeah, I mean, obviously this is a thing that's coming and you're not going to be able to stop it because the, the technology is out there. It's freely available for people to work on and iterate on. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend to predict what the future is going to look like 10 years from now. Seven years ago, I thought that it was impossible that somebody like Trump could ever be president. So <laughs> why would I try to predict the future of AI? Yeah. What about the danger of ai created content online we obviously had when um, 2000 when was it uh, cambridge analytica 2016 mm -hmm. yeah i think so yeah the facebook stuff yeah yeah so cambridge analytica for the people that don't know was 
able to create, or it was able to deploy very, very targeted ads at super small cohorts of people that they, uh, the pain points of those people were understood. Mm-hmm. At least the copy and the advert for that had to be created by a real human. Mm-hmm. It would feed back up to the humans and then you get some fucking shadowy cabal of Vietnamese copywriters to come and like do whatever the meme is that you make and then you make a joke about Hillary. Now you can do both ways for this. So mm-hmm. you can find out which person has which pain point, feed that into an algorithm and have an individually created piece of content that targets precisely their unique personality to nudge their preferences in one way or another. Surely that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't know what the... I'm not going to be able to give you the answer to that. <laughs> I just, I'm yeah. just thinking about the future demise of the internet. I suppose as well, you know, with social media, what humans have been trying to do, and this is what audience capture is at its heart, is they're trying to reverse engineer the desires and preferences of the people that they can reach, then feed red meat to that audience. Mm-hmm. But when you have algorithms working in both directions, it completely cuts out the content creator. So I wonder... I don't know. Within not very long, Eliezer Yukowski reckons that like fucking X percent of all content on social media is going to be created by uh, machines. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I don't know. Are we going to be able to compete with that? I'm not sure. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. It's going to get spookier when AI is creating like full length like movies and songs and stuff too. That's, oh, fuck. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. nothing's safe. Yeah, exactly. So like, how, yeah, what is that? Because we, again, we imagine we, we appreciate things because like it was made by a person, we think. That's probably not true, though, right? The important thing is just that we think it was made by a person. But if it wasn't, like... Given the fact that we presumed that the domain of creativity and art was something that... Unique to humans. Yeah, but actually, no, they can do it better. So, so for instance, right, like, unobjectionably, um, copywriting, the the average copywriter on the internet is probably not as good at copywriting as GPT-4 mm-hmm. is. If you were to say, write me an advert for this two-bedroom apartment in Austin City Centre... GPT-4, on average, will be able to do that better than the average copywriter. Mm-hmm. Scale that all the way up. Then you could... The, fuck, I was just thinking, imagine if in five years' time you could type into whatever the new version of ChatGPT is, uh, create me a 10-hour extended version of Avengers Endgame uh, in which this thing happens, and it'll probably be able to render that for you. Maybe, yeah. With all of the original characters, with everybody in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And the technology is all like, it's funny because we keep seeing the graphs of like, this is like technology. It's like this. <laughs> and it keeps seeing like, well, it's going to slow down eventually. But like, you got to figure like, what, 20 years ago, we didn't re- really even have cell phones. Yes. I think I was 18 when the first iPhone came out. I think it was 2007. Well, remember that the, the limitation at the moment, I don't think is computational. Moore's law, which is that is every three years or every uh, it's the number of transistors will double every, every some, however whatever, many yeah. years, right? Mm-hmm. That's I think that is starting to actually top out a tiny little bit. I don't know if it is or not. We're down to like, I remember, I thought it was like 16 nanometers or maybe 20 nanometers was like the theoretically smallest distance between transistors. And I think the new Tensor shit or whatever coming for the next uh, Google phone is like three nanometers. Uh, is Moore's Law finally ending? Mm. I feel like people have been writing articles like that for the past like five years. Yeah, perhaps. What's the status quo? <laughs> Consensus is that Moore's Law is slowing down. It might soon be augmented and then drive improvements further. Right, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, so, that's hard to know, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and then, yeah, like look at this AI stuff where it was like three, two or three years ago. I don't think we cared much. It was still kind of like a meme. Yeah. And yeah. now in like two years, it's like, fuck. Game over. What's happening? <laughs> Did you ever read Superintelligence or listen to it? No. So it's a book by Nick Bostrom who, it was like the seminal, this is how AGI is going to fuck us in mm-hmm. the ass. And it 
came out 2014. It's kind of technical, but it's a good listen on Audible. It's one of the books on my on my reading list. And um, I remember th- saying on this very podcast, probably four years ago, I totally got red-pilled by Nick Bostrom. I was adamant that this was going to be the end of fucking civilization and this is what's going to happen. And now I'm actually kind of sweet with it. I don't think the AGI is that big of a threat. All of the promises that were made and all of the fears that came out the back of it haven't happened. Mm-hmm. And in the last six months, this has completely been fucking turned on its head. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, right. And this happened off basically chatbots. Mm-hmm. And you go, what a chatbot is able to do, just scale that up infinitely. Mm-hmm. And that's like, fucking civilization have you seen the movie her no everyone keeps on fucking telling me to watch it uh just a guy that falls in love with like a chatbot basically yes but like um in, like here's something that i said um that, and i still believe this is true i think that our acceptance for new technology i think it happens very quickly and it's normalized very quickly like we, we, there are some things that we think we like would never happen but as soon as it does we'll all accept it very fast here's one thing that i'm a little bit worried about is i think that at some point chatbots are going to get really good at having very human-like conversations with you. And I think the idea of having like a girlfriend chatbot, I think that once those get good enough, I think people will get very addicted to that very quickly. And it'll be like, shit, you'll have like thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have like these kind of like Discord girlfriends that are just chatbots. And it sounds like silly and it sounds stupid and it sounds dumb. But I think as soon as you get one that communicates at a good enough level with you, I think people would actually get hooked on it. Human desire is a very long lever that you Mm -hmm. can press down on. Um, I mean, you'll have seen this in your YouTube comments. I haven't recently, but I did a, a little while ago. People unironically commenting, just hold on, boys, the sex robots are coming soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was before language learning models and chat GPT and stuff. There was a white pill that one of my friends, an evolutionary psychologist called William Costello, told me, which is you could imagine a world in which uh, VR plus language learning models plus very advanced AI would create a sandbox in which both men and women could learn how to interact with each other and flirt. And it would almost be like a game. Mm -hmm. So you would practice flirting and then that would allow you to take it because one of the problems and one of the reasons that people have approach anxiety is that the cost of practicing and the cost of failing are exactly the same. Every day is game day. You don't get to go up and have practice rounds. You, If you fail, it's embarrassing in the real world. There's no like... That's what I always say when people ask me, like, how do you, like, if I want to, like, practice talking to women and everything, like, what do I need to do? And it's like, it's super, super, super easy. You just need to have a lot of friends that are girls in, like, freshman year of high school. But if you're, like, 26 and you have none, you're, like, you're fucked. I'm, this is a very high... Do you go into the gym? What? Are you going to the gym at 34? Sure, yeah, like, a little bit. Well, no, it's not, because going to the gym is fine. I can go and lift on my own. And if you fail and snap your shit. Yeah, that's, but at least that's on my own. But, like, social interaction is, Good like, point. so much scary. But it's, like, I've been friends with girls. My I had a friend group of girls, because I went to a Catholic high school that was all boys. And my friend group of girls was at a high school that was all girls. So when I was hanging with them, I was getting tons of female interaction my whole high school life. So talking to women for me is, like, not a big deal. But if you're, like, 22, and you've never even had, like, a lot of friends that are women— where the fuck do you start? Holy shit. Yes. That's very, 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 very daunting. Yeah. So, so it's like a hard thing to overcome. Yeah. One of the potential, like, again, that was so one of the white pills would be VR creates mm-hmm. a sandbox in which people can practice. Another reason why the AI girlfriend thing is maybe not quite as seductive for guys or girls is that there is still no status attached to it because you're not being chosen. So there is an element of prestige associated with being selected and if all that you require it's like no one brags about the fact that they have an only fan subscription that they're paying to it's like anybody with the price of a cheeseburger spare per month has an only fan subscription what is special is being selected 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that that is special, but there's a very real emotional component to it as well that, that might, might be, be more important. Yeah. So maybe high... the selection thing is whatever, but if the emotional thing is high enough, because like there are people that get really, I, I used to think this was bullshit, but um, the more women I've talked to that have done escorting, the more it seems to be true that a lot of the people that pay for escorts really aren't looking for like an awesome prostitute all night. They really are just looking for like companionship. Mm. Um and there's no status to buying an escort other than I guess you have the money to afford it. But like the the emotional companionship that you get from it is like so big. It's like, fuck it, I'll pay for it. And you know? if you're sufficiently lonely because you're living in this atomized pod universal basic income world mm-hmm. that, yeah. What was and that? I was, it's hard to think like in our world, like walking into, um, I think, um, I fucking hate the guy, but Andrew Tate said this and it's pro- I think it's probably true that pulling up to a party in like a fucking the most expensive Bugatti in the world is not as impressive as walking into a party with four really hot women. Pre-selection. Right? Yeah. It's um so like, but, and that's maybe people in our world might think like that. But if you're like a guy who's like 27 years old and you've never had a friend that's a girl before, are you really thinking, is that guy at home listening thinking like, God, I just wish I had a girl that liked me so I could show everybody how cool I am. Or is he saying like, I really wish a woman would just talk to me because I want like that companionship. Yep. He probably just wants the emotional connection, you know, yes. more even than the status signaling. Did you see Tate in the new South Park? No, I've not. Did you know that he was in it? Nope. Andrew Tate is represented in the new South Park episode, the one that they finished the season with. Oh, nice. As a Romanian sex trafficker. They don't use his name, <laughs> okay. but it's the same sure. haircut. It's the same glasses. It's the same beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the police come in and again, they haven't used his name, but the likeness is like yeah. so fucking. So Randy, um, the girls leave for spring break and Randy is distressed at the fact that Kyle and his friend, uh, Stan and his friend are playing Warhammer 40k. Yeah. And this, he says that this is fucking gay. Like, why are you doing it? Blah, blah, uh-huh. blah. Uh, I'm going to ring someone and get like some girls around. And it's the Tate guy Tate yeah. that brings these people around. It's like, I mean, you've gone this season from Harry and Meghan to Andrew, started with Harry and Meghan, finished with Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. So fully all the breaths of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Fucking wild. What else you got coming up? What can people expect from you next? Um, I mean, tomorrow we've got all the panel stuff going on. I think I'm going to Tennessee to debate some libertarian guy in Ukraine, Russia. Next month I go to Wales and there's like oh, a Oh yeah, panel. let's go. Yeah. Why? Um, there's like a light festival or something. Do you know who Zizek is? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's going to be there and a few other people where we're going to be talking about stuff. So yeah, just a lot of random shit going on. He's an interesting dude. Mm-hmm. I, I follow a uh, an account called uh, like out of context Zizek. Okay. And it's f- even in context. He's very funny. He's like, yeah. F- fucking brilliant. Look, Destiny, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming out. Uh, where should people go if they want to check out more of your stuff? Uh, Instagram.com slash Destiny, Twitter.com slash The Omni Liberal, and YouTube.com slash Destiny. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me.